Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and I'm super excited to have you along with us for the ride. It's going to be a great show today. Man, how good is that weather out there? It's been so nice to, well, I mean, I don't know about you, but but I kind of like, I grew up in Southern California. I lived up in Tweed Heads for a while. I can't handle the cold so well. I'm I'm not really into that. I like if I'm going surfing, I'm wearing a wetsuit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so with this winter snap that's hit us, and all of a sudden it's starting to feel cold outside. And when you have a nice sunny day, it really really hits home and it's good. But anyway, we're super excited to have you with us today, and uh, we are continuing today our series on Exodus. So last week we started on Exodus chapter one. Today we're going to be going through Exodus chapter two and learning more about what we can apply into our own real lives today from the Exodus story of the Bible. We're also going to be talking about some testimony time, some testify with our friend Kate. She'll be coming in to share a bit of a story today, and we're super excited to have her along. And we're also going to be doing some fun things with our question of the week and our discussion topic. So just want to remind you, before we get into it, that you can get involved with our discussion question at any time during the show by calling in at 1-800-324-843, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or text us on 0491-064-669. And our discussion topic for today is, if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only have one book of the Bible, not one plus two, not one Old Testament, one New Testament, no, 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 not one, one gospel plus something else, no, just one Bible book, and you were stranded by yourself on a desert island, which book would you choose and why? So we'd love to hear from you on that. We've got some responses in from our Facebook page. We're going to be talking about that as we go throughout the show. And I also want to encourage you to hit us up with your questions, and we'll tell you after the break a little bit more about what the prize is going to be today. Stick around. You don't want to miss it. This is Ellie Holcomb. Do not worry. See the birds that are singing in the spring air They're giving everything they need They don't worry where their next meal will come from They don't worry about a thing So just look around you Try to listen to the song creation sings Don't you worry cause you're in the hands of the God who made everything See the flowers in their colorful beauty They're dressed better than a king They don't worry about what they should wear, no They don't worry about a thing So just look around you Listen to the song creation sings And don't you worry cause you're in the hands of the God who made everything Because you're, you're not a bird and you're, you're not a flower You don't have petals or wings But there is good news, you're worth so much more To the God who made everything Mm -hmm. 
storms that they might bring. Try to remember that you're in the hands of the God who made every single thing. Welcome back to Real Faith. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and uh, yeah, stoked to have you back with us. It is like it's come a fun time of the show. I love. I actually really love the whole show. I really enjoy coming and doing the radio. And uh, one of the things that I really enjoy is this this segment we're about to do where we talk about the weird and wonderful world that God has made. So, Shell, how I'm are you here. going today? I'm good. Oh, this is good news. Are you ready for some reactions? I uh, am. Yeah. You don't sound that ready. You should, you should sound more excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So seeing as we're going to be talking about Moses and talking about the Exodus, I thought it might be an interesting thing to learn about today, some fun facts about the desert. Now, here's a question for you. Do you like the desert? No. Well, no. Why don't you like the desert? What is, what's there not to like about the desert? Sand. <laughs> what? You don't like sand? No. Do you not like the beach? Uh... Oh man! I, I, what do I, you, where do you like to go, Shell? This, this is becoming a, a therapy person. session. I like the lakes. There's sands at lakes. Not necessarily. Not. It depends on what kind of lake. Uh, there aren't sands at every beach, too. They got all all of Europe. It seems to have these pebble beaches. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Croatia has like pebbles. Oh, I love the beaches in Croatia. Oh, you like They're, the pebbles? I love the yeah. sand. Oh, so good. Anyway, I didn't come to talk about sand, but there is lots of sand in many deserts, so I can see the connection. But let me give you some fun facts today. We're going to be learning about deserts. Now, fun fact for you, I used to live in the desert. I, uh, well, Southern California is a semi-arid desert, so it's not, it's not a full-blown Sahara desert, but it is definitely a desert. We get very little rainfall in Southern California. And also, I lived in Las Vegas in high school, and that is a proper desert. So, all right, guess question time for you is this. So we know that two-thirds of the planet is covered in water. Yes. But how much of the land surface is desert. Take a guess. Take a healthy stab. You, you've got this look of dismay on your face, so you got to be quicker than that. A quarter. A quarter. Close. Close. One-third of the whole planet's land surface is actually classified as desert. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question. How do you classify something as desert? Does it just mean that nothing grows there? What, what, what is a desert? Well, fun fact for you today is fulfilled. Don't stress. I've got the answer for you. <laughs> To be classified as a desert, an area has to lose more moisture than it acquires in the year. So there has to be a loss of more moisture per annum than there is rainfall to replenish it so that it's losing water faster than it's replenishing it. So it's not staying equal. It's not gaining. It's actually in the red. It's losing water throughout the time. So it may or may not look exactly like you expect, but it is definitely losing moisture. Um, Do you like to run? You a runner? I don't mind it. You don't mind <laughs> I like to run, except that I have problems with my knees, so I don't do it very often, and that makes the running worse. So I, I, in my mind, I would like to run, but I don't do it that much anymore. But one of the things that is really fascinating is I, I got into um, – when I was running, I was, I was really keen on trying to get towards doing a half marathon, seeing how far I could push myself. I got to 11Ks. I was pretty stoked with that. That was the most I ever got. But – there is a race. It's an ultra marathon race. So this is a race that is longer than a marathon. It is called the four. Oh, the the I, I had it's the four desert ultra marathon 
series. There you go. Four Deserts Race. And it goes through four of the largest deserts in the world, and they are ultra marathons. So the distance is longer than a marathon. You, you got this, this, this terrified look on your face. So how do they get from the one? So are, these deserts wouldn't be next to each other. So, so they have to fly to these different deserts. Okay. So it's, it's four separate races. Four separate races. Okay. And the four deserts that they, that they do are very interesting, right? So an ultra marathon again is longer than a marathon distance. The, it's a 250 kilometer six stage foot race. Check that out. 250 kilometers. So check this out. The first race is the Atacama Crossing. So this is in South America. And this is the highest desert by elevation in the world, if I remember correctly. Then you've got the Gobi Desert Race, and that is in Asia, Mongolia kind of region. Um, and then you've got the Saharan or Namibian Race, and that goes across the Saharan Desert in Africa. And then you've got the last desert race, which is the final one. And I want to do a guess. What is the other desert race what's your guess so we've got the highest elevation we've got the lowest elevation uh, for that size of desert i suppose now that i think about that the you know the death valley is probably lower okay um is it one here could it be no it's cold it's a cold desert it's a cold desert okay you got five seconds five four i'm very bad with geography antarctica did you know that Antarctica is actually a desert because it's losing more moisture than it's gaining in a year? No, that's wow. interesting. Crazy, right? So when did it become classified as a desert? I have no idea. It's a great question. You'll have to ask Dr. Google on that okay. one. But they actually run a foot race in Antarctica. So there's lots of fun things that you can learn about deserts. You can also find water in the desert. Um, one thing that they encourage you to do in the military in S. SAS survival training is that you dig a hole and you put a a plastic bag over it and a rock over it and that moisture out of the ground will evaporate and get stuck to the plastic and drip down and you can capture that in a cup. So there you go. (laughs) Weird and wonderful facts for today about the deserts. This is Reawaken the Old Rugged Cross. Left his glory above 
to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it has come that time of our show where we do our testify segment, and we hear from some real-life people right now. What is God doing in their world? And so today we've got our friend Kate. Welcome, Kate. How are you? Thank you. I'm very good. (laughs) Super excited to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Kate. Um, Well, I... Oh, what about myself? I, at the moment, I'm temping at the conference office and I um, like to write a bit of music. I do some colon hydrotherapy, <laughs> which people always laugh at. Very um, good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, but out of curiosity, do you play instruments? Do you sing? Do, do you I do, do both? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I sing mostly, um, but I play some guitar and some piano. Oh, so, very good. Yeah, I saw you playing some guitar just before. Yeah, they have a, a shell brought a guitar in that she got like her neighbor was putting in the the the, the rubbish basically. So oh, it was wow. here and it stays in chin. I was really stoked. I All had to right. put it in a shell. Had to take it away because I was I wasn't doing any work anymore. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> music can be a great therapy and sometimes a distraction. But it can. It can. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're super stoked to have you on the show today. Oh, and um, yeah, I'm curious to hear what is it that that you're going to share? Just tell us this this story. What's been happening in your life? What's God been doing? Oh, Okay, well, I just wanted to share about this beautiful boy at uh, my church. He's nine years old. His name's Zion. And um, I'll tell you a little bit of the context. I um, I was helping out the children's ministries department, and they um, they got me to proofread this um, brochure on intergenerational connectedness. And when I was reading, I was just like, oh, wow. Um, two things really stood out to me. Um, one was that um, if 
five adults take an interest in a child um, and if the child feels that they're contributing in a meaningful way to the church, they're much more likely, like significantly higher um, chance that they will stay in church and, and keep their faith. And so I just said a three-second, very sincere prayer. Um, Please, God, pick me. Amen. Um, when I <laughs> read the, the flyer. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And that um, Sabbath, I was sitting in church, and nine-year-old Zion handed me this huge piece of paper, and I brought it in. Just oh, so it's beautiful. <laughs> I know this is radio, not television, but anyway. <laughs> you you all just have to take my word for it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like an A, what, A3, A3 paper, with handwritten. Purple, yeah, purple texture. And um, basically he said, I wrote a song and you can write the tune if you like. Um, and he handed it to me and I read it and I just, I just thought, wow, these lyrics are strong and they're beautiful and they're actually set out in, you know, the perfect um, way for me to write a song. So the next day I had finished the tune and I, you know, shared it with the uh, with um, Zion and his mum, Tari, and they were so excited and I just said, okay, just write two more verses. Two more verses is all I need. And so they did that really quickly. Um, we ended up sharing the song uh, at church and um, people got so excited about all of it. So the intergenerational connectedness part, the, the Zion writing a song at nine years old part, just all of it, the song itself. Um, and we, it suddenly turned into something much bigger. <laughs> and now we've um, had it professionally recorded. Um, wow. We had a, yeah, um, a video clip um, done by, um, yeah, an amazingly talented guy, Maddie. And um, we had all of the kids at the beach, um, just everyone was involved and, yeah, it's it's just been such a fun experience, and um, I just have a, a couple of Bible verses I wanted to share. Um, Matthew nineteen four, um, Jesus said, "Let the little, little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven." So Jesus just took everybody seriously, no matter how young, no matter how old, and everybody was welcome. Um, and First Timothy four verse twelve: Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So um, yeah, I just wanted to share that little story, and I guess challenge myself and anyone else listening um, just to be courageous for the Lord. Don't think that you don't have something to offer because you're too young or too old or too middle aged. Um, I, I believe that we're all a crucial part of our church community, um, and that our actions can have lasting effects, um, and our inactions can <laughs> not have lasting effects, which is which would be really sad. So. Let's believe in the young people. And if you're a young person listening to this song, um, um, to this um, segment, I'd, yeah, just be encouraged. And yeah. <laughs> so we actually wanted to share the song um, on. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. This is a surprise <laughs> to me. This is super exciting. <laughs> so I don't know if. Um, yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate. And we just want to encourage you guys to enjoy this song. This is. How do, how do you pronounce your last name? Gariga. Gariga. So this is Kate Gariga. And Zion. And Zion. And this is He Cares. God is so, so good. And He helps us learn how to be like Him. And He cares for us. And He guides us by His Holy Spirit. When you think of how he answers prayer, you see Almighty Alpha and Omega. 
God is merciful. He is kind and true. I wanna be like Him. He will be my guide when I fall. I'll rise by His Spirit. Hear the nature around us speak. His almighty hand written all over. Make sure you tune in to The Breakfast Show to Encounter God, play the quiz, hear great music and noteworthy news. All that and much more every morning on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. Down at the cross where my Savior died Where for cleansing from sin I cried there to my heart Was the blood applied I sing Welcome to Real Faith with, or welcome back, I should say, to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, before we get into our Bible study, which is coming up next, a couple of quick things. Number one, we would love to hear from you for our discussion topic or 
for our question of the week. And we're going to do some, we're going to hear some of your responses just in a moment for the discussion topic. But before we get into that, I just want to plug to you. We have a prize giveaway, a free prize giveaway for our first caller in today for question of the week. Remember, you can ask any question that you've got about God, the Bible, spirituality. Could be a question about the book of Exodus that we're studying. Could be a question about some big theological thing. Could be a practical question about faith, etc. Um, we'd love to hear from you, whatever the question is. And our first caller is going to receive a free copy of this book called the Sanctuary Service by M.L. Andreessen. Now, here's a question for you. Is, has there ever been a time where you have been reading Scripture or hearing the story of the Bible and you go, what in the world is the deal with the sanctuary? What, what's the deal with animal sacrifice? Why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? What in the world does it mean when it talks about Jesus as a high priest? How, why would God do that? Why would God work that way? What, what does that even mean? Well, if you have ever asked any of those questions, this book is for you. And uh, I encourage you to call in so you can get your hands on a free copy of that. First caller in to 1-800-324-843, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or to text in at 0491-064-669, is going to get their hands on a copy of that book. So make sure you call in with your questions, and you can be in the running for that. Um, all right, so Shell, what do you have for us? Our discussion question for today, again, was... If you were stranded on a desert island, I've been on a deserted, well, not quite deserted, nearly deserted island. I lived on an island for, for a year, um, so I, I can relate to this. And you could only have one book of the Bible, not two, not 1.5, doesn't matter the length, which book of the Bible would you choose? So what's our first response here, Shell? Okay, well, we got one from Trent, and Trent says, my favorite book is James. But it's too short. So it's a toss-up between Proverbs and Psalms. But I'll pick Proverbs because you learn something new every day. You can learn it. You could read it every day for three years and still be learning new things. Oh, I love it. You know, it's funny because Proverbs in the Old Testament and James in the New Testament are in the same category. They're both wisdom books, right? Books that give us practical wisdom about life. So it's interesting that he his, his favorite is in the New Testament, but he picked the Old Testament version of the same thing. <laughs> I love it. That's super cool. Well, hang out for a little bit more of those. We'll get some more of those as we go throughout the rest of the show, through the Bible study. And um, also, uh, at some point, I'll, I'll, I'll venture my own guess out there, and you can guess what that'll be. So, all right, we are going to get into our Bible study with a word of prayer, and then we'll be jumping into Exodus chapter 2. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of life and breath in our lungs today. Um, it's not guaranteed that we would wake up this day, so we thank you for it. Please fill us with your spirit and lead us as we read your word, and I pray it will be relevant to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we started our study of the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, and the Exodus story chronicles the story of God's people, the children of Israel, in the time of their bondage in Egypt. So, God had made a prophecy to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that your descendants, prior to coming back into the promised land, prior to inheriting that, they would be enslaved by a people that are not their own for 400 years. And we found that during the time of Joseph, who would be Abraham's not grandson, but great-grandson. During that time, Jacob, his father, and all of his brothers, uh, that is Joseph's brothers, came to Egypt during a time of famine, and they had prosperity there. They were growing there. But eventually, the, there was a new dynasty of kings. They didn't like Joseph. And last week, we learned that one thing that they did with the descendants of the Israelite people is that they tried to kill off the young 
uh, male infants, and then they decreed that that was a law, and they said, kill every male infant that's born to the Hebrew people. And that's where we left off. So a pretty hectic story, a partial genocide, so to speak. And um, we are jumping right back into that story. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. You've got Genesis, then Exodus. And we are in Genesis, sorry, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And it reads, And a man of the house of Levi, that is one of the twelve tribes of Israel, a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. In other words, from the same tribe. Verse 2, So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now let's stop there for a moment because the reality is when you read this story, you think, man, you know, somebody gets married, they have kids. This is a pretty standard story throughout human history. And then all of a sudden you think, hang on a second. This, this, this has happened in the time where there's a decree that if you have a baby boy and you're of Hebrew descent, your baby boy is going to be taken from you and thrown into the river to be drowned, right? This is, this is crazy. They're going to they're cast him alive into the river. There's crocodiles. There's hippos. There's all sorts of danger. Babies can not swim for too far. Um, they're not going to be able to get out on the shore. They're helpless. And for three months, it says, three months, she is hiding this baby successfully. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not met many three-month-old babies or under that are very quiet and placid and never cry or make noise. So this is pretty supernatural. This is pretty miraculous that she was able to hide her child for that long. And at the end of this time, she's not able to hide him any longer. And what's, what's mind-blowing to think about is, is the solution that she comes up with. The solution is, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to entrust him to God. I'm going to put him in a basket. So she gets a basket and she makes it. And it's interesting that it's called an ark. We don't see that term used very often in Scripture or anywhere else for that matter. Um, the Ark of Noah was mentioned. We have this Ark, and later on we're going to have what's called the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box that they would place the Ten Commandments and a couple of other artifacts in. But she takes these bulrushes, these plants, and she weaves together a basket. She's not wealthy. She's got the ability to do that from what she knows. She makes that. She covers it with asphalt and pitch. In other words, she waterproofs this thing. She's giving her child the best chance that, she, that, that he's going to have of survival. And then she takes him, she puts him in this thing. I imagine she was a praying woman, um, and she places him in the river. The interesting thing is that she places him in the very river that he was likely to be cast into to be drowned, and this place that was going to be his deathbed is now becoming the potential place of life. And so she puts him in that basket, and she puts him out there, but she doesn't just trust him out there and, and push him off into the water and leave him alone. She leaves her daughter his, his older sister there to watch and see what happens. Will someone find the baby? And she prays, I imagine. And this is what happens in the story. We're going to take a break, and we're going to go to a song now. This song is by the Emmanuel Quartet, and it's entitled The Size of the Rock. Doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-ba-doom-
Moses was just a baby boy. When his mama put him in her boat and the river took him home, he met a pretty princess. It wasn't enough till I heard a voice from a burning bush saying, "Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go free." David was just a shepherd boy. When the prophet said he would be king, even though he was the youngest son, he heard about a giant. Went to see the king, grabbed a bag of petals and he swung his sling, and the rock of ages brought the mighty giant to his knees. Well, you may feel a bit insignificant when you're standing next to one of those men, but there was nothing special about him until they let the Holy Spirit in, and with a mighty hand they took their stand while everybody else is making cheap talk. It's not the size of the man that matters. All that matters is the size of the rock. Have you heard about the baby king? Our ghost herald angels sing. He was the father's only son. Taught us about heaven, we nailed him to the tree. But in three days it was alive and free because the heart of the rock was mightier than the stone. So the next time you feel insignificant when you're standing next to one of those men, like there is nothing special about ya, just let the Holy Spirit in. Everybody else is making cheap talk. It's not the size of the man that matters. All that matters is the size of the rock. A mighty hand, take your stand. Listen to me, brother, 'cause I'm talking to you. Jesus is the only one to carry you through. All that matters is the size of the rock. Welcome back to Real Faith. You are listening to oh, Faith FM with, I forgot my name, Robbie Morgan. You're listening to Faith, Real Faith. I've got it. You're, you're here. I'm here. We're going to keep doing our Bible study. I lost it. All right. So before we get into our Bible study, let, let's hear from another discussion response. Somebody else that's texted in. So the question, remember today, and you can text in or call in your response to this question. We'd love to hear from you um, at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 0491-064-669. And the discussion question is, what if you were stranded on a desert island, What's the one book of the Bible you'd take if you were only allowed one? Okay, so Matt had this to say. It's a toss-up between Genesis and John. They have it all. And it's interesting that my favorite author, Ellen G. White, quotes John more than any other book. It's it's so relational. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. Yeah, the the connections between John and, and Genesis are profound. 
right? The, the gen, the creation account talks about the spirit of God hovering over the waters. God speaks. And then when you read John chapter one, it says the word, right? The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God and through him, all things were made that were made. And it just connects Jesus into that story, and it shows how Jesus is present in the Genesis account. It's That's profound. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Also, remember, you can call, call or text in with your questions to the same number I mentioned before. And the first caller in today for Question of the Week will receive a free copy of a book all about the sanctuary service and talking about how each element of that sanctuary service relates to a real part of Jesus' ministry on earth or in heaven. And uh, yeah, so first caller is going to get that. We encourage you to do that. We are back in Exodus chapter 2. What's going to happen to baby Moses? He's just been placed in this little ark of bulrushes and placed in the river. Verse 5. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw this ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. The maiden went and called the mother's child, or the, sorry, the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, or in the Hebrew, Moshe, saying, because I drew him out of the water, and the name Moses literally means drawn out. So check this out, right? So uh, there's so many points to be drawn from this little story. It's, it's incredibly profound. The first point that, I, that really sticks out to me is, that, is this. The place that they were sending babies to die was to cast them without any protection into the river, throw them into the Nile. They will be destroyed, and this is how we are going to overcome this this problem of this this group of people who are living here who are outnumbering us and becoming becoming influential, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? And I love this. The way that God rescues Moses, because God has a rescue plan, not just for Moses, but for the whole nation of Israel— and we're going to find out that it's, it's actually Moses who becomes the vessel for God's rescue plan. Now check this out. Not only that, but the very place of suffering, the sentence of death, was not, was, was not to be avoided. God didn't rescue Moses by taking him away from the river of death, but by preserving him and saving him, delivering him through what was supposed to be his death. And there are some huge shockwaves that should be going off in our brains right now when we think about what this could be talking about and pointing forward to. Number one, God is able to take us through the trials and bring us out delivered on the other side, right? And not, not only that, but God didn't, didn't take Moses and rescue him by not allowing him to go through the trial, but he preserved him and gave him protection to go through the trial. And that suffering that was supposed to prove to be his end became the the the, the vessel, so to speak, for his deliverance, right? He's not only he's not saved from the from the river in the sense that he never had to go to the river, but he's put into a place of safety into this ark. And that ark is placed in the water and he's delivered through that in that space. The second place this points to also 
is this really points forward to the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus did not rescue humanity by avoiding the cross, but he was delivered by going through the suffering, and it's through the suffering that deliverance came. And in a very similar way, we are not always, as followers of Jesus, delivered from suffering in the sense that we don't have to go through difficulties or trials. But often, in fact, God's plan to deliver us involves going with him safely through trial, through suffering, so that we may be delivered in the end. And I love that. That's a powerful point, powerful message. Second, second thing that we can draw from this, from this passage that I think is super significant is when you look at the story, you've got, you've got the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, she becomes a vessel for salvation, right? She becomes the person, the conduit for salvation for Moses' life. She is, the, she is the very daughter of the person who has put the death sentence out there on Moses and all the other babies. And when you think about this, there's, there's a huge lesson in this. Not everybody that belongs to the world is totally controlled by the world, right? Jesus says, I have sheep in other folds, and I must go out and call them, and they will hear my voice and recognize me, and they will follow me, and there will be one shepherd and one flock. And here's the point. It's very interesting to me that God provides a person who's going to rescue Moses, who's actually a part of the dynasty of the kings who have sentenced Moses to death, right? God is able to bring deliverance from the strangest of places. And notice it says that the reason that she rescues Moses is because she had compassion on him. And the reality is that there are people out there who have compassion, and they may not be drawn to Jesus out of the the moral values that they were raised in, they may have grown up in a, in a totally Christless space, but there's a sense of compassion, and that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And when they see these things, they have compassion, and God uses that to be a witness to them and can do his purpose through people who didn't even realize they were participating in the plans of God. This is Chris Renzema, Caught in the Reeds. I saw a burning bush, a flaming silhouette in the night. If I'm standing on holy ground, I'm living on borrowed time. You said I am who I am. I was your boat in the Nile. All I know is there's blood on my hands. Just that river's bastard child. Oh, oh. Talk to God like a friend and still doubted him. Saw the ocean split wide and still wondered why. I still find it so hard to believe. And why my heart still gets caught in those signs and wonders, things that I can't understand. So why do I keep on doubting that you're my promised land? You have been bred in the desert, you've 
water from the wrong So why is it so hard to believe it That your love never stops to talk to God Like a friend and still doubting him Saw the ocean split Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. We're super excited to have you back with us. And uh, let's get into another one of those discussion responses. What do you have for us, Shell? Okay, so this one is from Leah. She says, hmm, it, that's hard. I think the book of John. That, so that's oh, two, two for, for John, John man. And actually mine would be John too, but oh, I'll, three say, for John. I'll say why in a minute. There is so much in there, especially about Jesus and his life, but so much teaching that is really deep. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of a lot of stuff in John, especially because John's the. It's very possible John is the very last book of the whole New Testament written. Um, it's you know, it, it it it's different than the other gospels. The other three gospels are called synoptic, meaning that they they uh, they share a lot of the same information. And John is the one that records the most information that's not included in any of the other gospels. Um, and it's written for a very specific purpose. He actually says the purpose for why he wrote the book. I think it's in John 19. He says, I have written this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? So it's super interesting. It's going, he's writing from a, a, the story from that perspective to, to emphasize those points that prove that. So that's really cool. What, you, so, what about you, Shell? Yeah. Why, why are you picking John? Well, he wrote a book while stranded on an island. That's true. I didn't think and, about that. The, but that book was Revelation. That, I know. <laughs> and that book is like super powerful, but I think that he had to be in a personal, relational place 
to be able to have been given that book too. That's a cool and point. And so to me, I think the book of John gives you the basis of that relationship. Yeah, totally. And Does that make sense? Revelation quotes the Old Testament, for example, like 250 times. Um, it's really hard to understand Revelation without the rest of the Bible. So you might have Revelation there, but if you didn't know the rest of the Bible already, it's going to be a lot harder to understand Revelation anyway. So maybe that's an interesting point to note. And you, it's hard to watch for the signs when you're out there on a deserted island by yourself too. <laughs> All right. So you can call in with your responses to our question, what book of the Bible would you take with you on if you were on a deserted island? And, and what are those numbers again? I think we need those numbers. Yeah, and we'll give, give you those numbers in a sec. But also you can call in with your questions, your questions for the question of the week section. And the first caller in again is going to get a free copy of a book called The Sanctuary Service that goes through and explains a lot of the depth of the whole meaning of the sanctuary service, the sacrifice of the animals, all of the stuff that happens in Leviticus. So super interesting. First caller in to 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 0491-064-669. All right, let's jump back into Exodus chapter 2, and we are now up to verse 11. So fast forward about 40 years. <laughs> you get to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, and it says, Now it came to pass in those days... When Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when no one's, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, it's interesting to think about the fact that we have no idea basically about the first 40 years of Moses' life, except that he was a beautiful child, he was rescued, he spent the, who knows how long, that, that period of weaning, which by the way, we, we do that a lot faster in the Western world than they do most of the rest of the world even now. Um, he was probably weaned until he was at least four years old, maybe older, maybe seven. Um, we don't really know exactly how long that time period was, but he was he was weaned by his mother nursed by his mother so what's amazing about this to think about this he goes through the through this river in this ark of uh, of made of bulrushes he's pulled out he's rescued by this this woman who has compassion on him and god through all of this does a miracle where through <laughs> moses's sister who says hey hey do you need somebody to nurse this baby because obviously you haven't had a baby so you can't nurse him you're not lactating <laughs> so where what about well, i know somebody who's lactating and can take care of your baby nurse it that's no problem she's like yeah go do that and so she winds up getting paid to actually nurse her child so this is pretty amazing how god's provision worked in this scenario and think about this the most influential years in the life of a child or life of a human being rather in terms of character development is the first four years right? The first seven years, who you are as a person in terms of your temperament, your personality, your character is most highly influenced by that period. And what's amazing is that 
this this mother and father got the opportunity to have their child back in a time where it they were legally going to be taken and and killed and god provided a safety for these trusting people to put the child in a place of safety where he could not only be safe but be in an environment where he would learn of the true hebrew god and so that's about all we know except that he was raised in the palace now being raised in the palace he would have been trained in all of the ways of egypt he would have learned history he would have learned the arts he probably would have been exposed to the Bab- or sorry, not the Babylonian, the Egyptian teachings, and he would have understood their myths. He would have been exposed to mathematics and what other, whatever other things were there. But this is one of the most important things to think about. He would have been trained in their arts of their politics and in the arts of their warfare. And so when we think about this for, for, 40, for 40 years for Moses, he was trained in the ways of Egypt. And I want you to think about this. As we come into this story, um, he was trained for 40 years or close to it, you know, 30-odd years in the royal courts, and he was learning to think. He was being trained to reason as an Egyptian would be trained to reason. He was being prepared for a position of authority and rulership in the Egyptian model, which means he would have been trained in Egyptian ways of thinking. And I want you to think about this for a moment because when we read in Acts chapter 7, it breaks up Moses' life And it says that Moses had 40 years in Egypt here, and then he had 40 years in the wilderness before God called him, and then he had another 40 years of leading the children of Israel. And so his life is broken up to this. And what's really interesting to note is we see the influence of Egypt on his thinking already. Because watch what happens in the story. He comes out, he goes to check on what's happening with his people, and when he comes out there, he sees somebody being wronged, abused by the Egyptians. And when he sees him, Notice what he does. He doesn't immediately stand up and say, hey, stop that. Stop this abuse, this maltreatment. What's going on here? No, 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 no. He starts, he starts to look, and he looks one way, and it's clear. And then he looks the other. coast is clear. And only then does he engage in physical violence against this Egyptian. And it says that he murders him. By the way, this is second-degree murder, not premeditated, but it was planned right there on the moment in the instant. But notice he didn't just go out and address the wrong just because there was injustice. He was looking out for his skin. He was looking out to make sure he wasn't going to get caught or covered up because he's covering up the situation. So he kills the Egyptian. Not only that, but he buries his body and he keeps it all a secret. So Moses has come down to check on the people and he's got an earnest desire. He's got a good desire in his heart to, to see his people freed. He probably knew the, the prophecy that the people would be delivered. And he probably thinks I'm going to be the person that God's going to use to deliver the people. Why? Because he saved me, and he put me in this position. If you know the prophecy, we're coming to the end of that time. I'm in the position to be able to help. But the problem is, the problem is he doesn't know how to do it God's way. He wants to do it by force, by coercion. The problem is he's got too much of Egypt in his head. He's, He's thinking in the ways of the world Because Egypt is operating not on godly principles, but on satanic principles, principles of force and coercion. But that's not the method that God is going to have to bring him out, not the method that's going to glorify Egypt's ways. He now has to take Moses out of Egypt. And so in this space, he comes back down, and when he talks to the Hebrews, the Hebrews don't want anything to hear about him. He's like, well, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Oh, no. Words got out. So what does Moses do? He panics. And when, when Moses finds out, or sorry, when the Pharaoh finds out about what Moses has done, he's gone. 
He bails. And at this point, just imagine the doubts in your head. I thought I, I thought God was going to use me to deliver his people. But now I'm in exile. I'm cast out. I've got no way to do this. And he's sitting in this place. We find him by a well in the middle of the desert, totally lost, not knowing what in the world to do with himself. And that's the cliffhanger that we're going to come, come and take a break from. This is Randy Travis, Through the Fire. So many times I've questioned certain circumstances Or things I could not understand Many times in trials Weakness blurs my vision And my frustration gets so out of hand Cause then I am reminded I've never been forsaken I've never had to stand the test alone As I look at all the victories The Spirit rises up in me It's through the fire my weakness is made strong He never promised that the cross would not get heavy Or the hill would not be hard to climb He never offered victory without fighting But he said help would always come in time Just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision And the adversary says give in Just hold on Our Lord will show up And He will take you through the fire again I know within myself I would surely perish If I trust the hand of God He'll shield the flames again He never promised That the cross would not get heavy That the hill would not be hard to He said help would always come in time Just remember when you're standing In the valley of decision And the adversary says give Just hold on Our Lord will show up And He will take you through the fire again Just hold on Our Lord will show up And He will take you through the fire again Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we are just getting into the thick of our Bible study. Um, just before we get back into it, let's go to uh, one of those discussion responses. Have we got one there, Shell? We do indeed. So this one is from Lyle. 
some people might know him from the breakfast show. But um, his, ah, who's that? No. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, my favorite book is Daniel. But if I was stuck on an island all by myself, I think I would want Psalms. It would give me the peace I would need in solitude. That's cool. It's also the longest book of the Bible, so it probably gives you the most stuff to read. <laughs> True that. <laughs> 150 chapters, I believe. Oh, very cool. Um, you can call in with your responses, what book of the Bible you would bring, and uh, also call in with your questions of the week. And the first caller in is going to receive a free copy of the Sanctuary Service, getting a bit deep and, and, and meaningful about all of the Sanctuary Services that we see in the Bible. You can do so by calling in 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 491 yeah, so it's it's really interesting to think about what we've just read in that chapter, that Moses has spent so much time learning the ways of Egypt. He's learning how to fight the way the Egyptians fight. He's learning how to strategize the way the Egyptians strategize. He's learning how to move politically for change the way that the Egyptians move politically for change. And in the midst of that space, one of the challenges that we face in the world is we God calls us to be in the world but not of the world. Right? God doesn't want us to, to just live in a commune and have no influence on the world. He calls us to be witnesses. However, in the midst of that world, we need to be in a space where we're learning from what God says and not being influenced by what the world teaches. Because, let's be real, the world is in opposition to God's ways, and that's what we see all throughout Scripture, but we also see it all around us. And so Moses here has got a lot of things that, that he's learning that are are not actually God's ways and God's method. So his intentions are right, but his mo- but not but intentions aren't the only thing that matters. Actions also matter. So think about that as we read that. And so he winds up in this place where now he's 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 exiled and in verse 16 it continues. It says now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherd came, shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Reuel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. Now I want to take a pause there because this just really highlights what I'm saying. Notice that he goes into this space and He's, he's actually doing a good thing here, right? His heart's in the right place. And he sees these women coming to water their flocks. The shepherds come and chase them away. And so he stands up for the oppressed, which is what he had done before. And yet before he had not just been doing it, the, he, he'd been doing it perhaps with good intentions, but his methodology was not the best, right? It was, in, it was selfish in its nature. He was not just standing up and saying, oh, there's injustice. I must stand and, and protect the oppressed. But he stopped. He had enough time to stop and look left, look right, make sure that there wasn't going to be any consequences for him because he knew what he was about to do was intentional. And what he was doing was not just getting in and trying to break up the fight and stop the issue. He knew he was going to murder this man. And so he goes about it in, in, a, in a crafty, politically uh, maligning kind of way. Uh, that's not the right words, but you get what I mean. And here we see that he hasn't been dejected totally from doing from standing up against injustice because he stands up against injustice here. But check out, check out what they say. They say, well, how did you get back so soon? What's, what's the deal? And his daughters say to, to Reuel, they say, oh, an Egyptian saved us. 
Now, obviously, on the one hand, he's been raised in a palace. He looks Egyptian, but it's just telling. Not only did he look Egyptian, perhaps in his clothing and in the makeup that he would have worn to protect his skin, in his hairstyle, because he was raised in the court, he was dressed up like an Egyptian, but yet perhaps it was telling that he was looking like an Egyptian, too much like an Egyptian in his character. And I think this is really important for us to just think about, because as Christians in the world, how often are we living in the world and not being of the world? To live in the world, to be in the world, but not of the world, as Jesus says to do. But how often are we thinking we're doing that, but we're actually in the world and becoming like the world? Because that's, that's what we don't want to do. And what's really fascinating to note is that Moses spends 40 years in Egypt, and then he goes into exile, essentially, in Midian, and he spends 40 years out of Egypt. And it's really telling that it takes this same amount of time to be out of Egypt before he's prepared enough for God to call him to go and deliver his people. And the interesting thing to think about there is that sometimes we think that a lot about how much we have to learn, but equally, there is so much that we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn the ways of the world. We have to unlearn these selfish ways of being. We have to unlearn those things. And with that in mind, this next song is called Unlearned, and it's by me. Here you go. Uh, somewhere there. And will fully spurn our false ideologies. When will the tallies of the slain? Just the same blood runs through our own veins. But we study our wars till we know nothing more. Aren't we misinformed? Well, I long for the day. And when will we learn to play? Children instead of blood run down our streets. When will our insatiable lust for self give way? When will we like children? 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And, um, yeah, I think we've got another response. What, so what was the response that we had over, during the break? So, yeah, during the break, we have a response here from, I'm just going to bring up the name, uh, from Raphael. And he says, if I was on a deserted island, I would love to have the book of Psalms with me. The book itself contains 150 poems or Psalms. They are broken down into three types, hymns, laments, and thanksgiving. Therefore, no matter your mood, you could praise, worship, reflect, and ponder God's faithfulness and blessings to you. And we also had um, David call in, and he said Psalms as well. Oh, man, Psalms is the winner so far. Three for Psalms, two for John. Oh, no, it was three. It was tied. Oh, it's tied. Yeah. Tied between Psalms and John. No, that's a great point. Thank you. Uh, it was Raphael, and was it David? Yes. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, oh, this is such a great point. There's so much in the Psalms, and so often we can really pray through every experience going through the Psalms. You look at them, and it, it just touches on every area of life, doesn't it? just touches on every aspect. You know, there's so much in there. There are even prophecies about Messiah in there that you can look at. It's just some powerful and profound stuff. Super cool. Well, we are up to our last little segment before the break, but before we get there, I just want to encourage you guys, you can still call in and get your questions of the weekend, and you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or text us at 491 we're going to continue on with Exodus chapter 2, verse 20. So Reuel said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, 
And he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Gershom means sojourner. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God before because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. Oh, I love that. I'm going to repeat that. It's so good. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. And I love this. It took a long time, it seems, before the whole people of the nation of Israel cried out to God. But when they do, it says that God hears them. And I love this. This is so important to remember. God hears their cry. And notice, their cry doesn't come at the beginning. Their cry comes at the end of this story so far. At the end of chapter 2, it says that they're crying out and God hears them. But notice that this is many years later. Many years later. And yet God is already in the business of planning and preparing the rescue for his people long before they even realize that they need it and long before they even call out for help to receive it. And I love this. God's plans are so much bigger than ours. His plan is to save Moses, but his plan is not just to save and and direct Moses' path, but his, his plan is to save Moses and then to use Moses to save his people also. And I love that. God's plans for our lives are not just about us, but they're about saving us and then using us to help others to experience that same salvation through Jesus. This is Sanctus Real. to lose I'm feeling qualified for what you're calling me to Alone with your strength I've got no excuse Cause broken people are exactly who you use So give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den Give me hope like Moses Trust you and give you everything Daniel in the lion's den 
to Faith FM, positively different radio. Faith FM has a brand new live show each weekday morning straight after the breakfast show called Tassie Encounters. Tune in for fascinating discussions of history, science, faith, and personal encounters with Jesus. Tassie Encounters, live every weekday straight after the breakfast show on Faith FM. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. So, Shell, what do we have? Uh, do we have any more discussion answers? We do. So um, our discussion topic, of course, is if you were on a deserted island, what book of the Bible would you take with you? And we've got a few um, a few little answers here that we can stick together. So we've got a couple of a couple more contenders to go up against. Oh, let's do it. So far we have the Psalms has three. John, John has, has three. three, and the others had one each, I think. Yep. Okay, and so we've got the Romans. Big contenders. Romans. We've got two for Romans. So oh, two for Romans. Harley and Rebecca, and Harley says it's all I'd need, all I'd ever need. That's a big Romans. call. That's a big call, I think, too. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Alicia says Matthew, and I'm hoping that I pronounced your name right. Um, Apologies if we've butchered your name. That's right. And yeah, she says because all I need is Jesus, and Matthew's got a lot of Jesus in there, so that's good. Um, <laughs> and Ben says it's a tough one, but he'd go with Luke. So we're getting a few for the Gospels here. And Lawson says Revelation because I know I'd be blessed. Oh, that's true because it says there's a blessing upon anybody who reads this book. Yes. Oh man, that's good. <laughs> so we still got a tiebreaker. Hey. We yeah. got a tiebreaker. And I'm you still, still haven't told. And us I yours. haven't told. I haven't said my answer. Well, my first thought was Philippians because it's my favorite book of the Bible. Because uh, my but favorite you do passage, know it pretty well. But, but I've memorized yeah. the the big fat sections that I want to know. So it's hard. Ah, oh, so difficult. I think I would probably. Oh, I want to pick John or Psalms, but I'm having such a hard time being the tiebreaker, man. <laughs> oh, I sh- I'm going to be real. I struggle with Psalms. Psalms is great, but it's I struggle to sit down and read it and re- just read it and read it. I need narrative. So I think for me, if I was going to pick between those two, I'd probably pick the Gospel of John. Mm. So I think John is the winner for today. But uh, the truth is, no matter which book you would take with you, you would be the winner because if you have any book of Scripture out there, you're the winner because you've got God's Word to put, keep putting into your heart and your mind. And they're so, all inspired. That's and right. And God will talk to you through all of that's them. That's right. You can read all of them. You can read Leviticus. I've actually been really blessed by Leviticus in the past. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys for your, your discussion, question, answers. Um, hey, Shell, I'm wondering what time it might be. Oh, question of the week. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So question of the week. So what do you have for us today? Okay. Well, um, David, who called in earlier, he um, is very interested in the sanctuary, and he, so Congratulations is, on the book, David. Thank it, you for your question. Yes. And the question is, talking of the sanctuary, why does the symbols of the sanctuary matter so much, like the incense ascending? Such a great question. Um, why Why does it matter to learn about the sanctuary, right? Like some people would say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament. That's Old Covenant. We're New Covenant. That's all in the past. We don't need to understand any of that. But the reality is... That when you think about, first of all, when you think about the importance of the New Testament writings in and of themselves, the context of the of of the New Testament writings is so deeply steeped in the Old Testament language, the Old Testament theology, the Old Testament stories, the Old Testament Torah, in order to really, really get the richness and the full understanding of what we're reading in the New Testament, we really need to understand the Old Testament, and a huge part of that is the sanctuary service. And I think it's really telling that when God was 
directing the children of Israel in how they were going to live, he didn't just give them the Torah, you know, the first five books of the Bible. He also gave them a pictorial, physical, practical thing to do, and that was the sanctuary service. And when you think about that, the value of, of learning and understanding the significance of what those things means is going to really help to explain the language and the theology of the New Testament. What, what does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Like, what does that really mean? Because that's, that's the pronouncement that John the Baptist makes when he sees Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we may, just, we may be able to understand that from that context there to, to a, a large extent. And yet, if we really want to understand all of these things that are, that are explaining the ministry of Jesus— the better we understand the sanctuary, the more we're going to understand the nuances of those things. So I would say that that's one of the reasons that it's important is it helps us to really understand the ministry of Jesus. It helps us to understand the writings of the New Testament. Um, it's it's helpful for us to understand Revelation and Daniel and these prophetic books that are talking about things that will happen, things that now have happened, um, this combination of what's going on in in prophecy from the time it was written until the end of time. God is, has put a lot of this stuff in with this language. The second reason I would say that it's valuable to learn what these symbols mean is because we are so far removed from that culture in many respects that sometimes we read into things that are said in the, in the text that aren't there or we miss points that are there because we don't have that cultural understanding of what was going on in the sanctuary. So that's what I would say to you, David, is, is there's a lot of value in that, and hopefully the book will, will, that you're getting will provide a lot of helpful information in breaking that down. But yeah, the, you've got the book of Hebrews, for example, and it goes through the, the priestly ministry of Jesus. Without the sanctuary service, none of that stuff makes sense. What does it mean? What, what was a priest's role? What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest and our mediator between God? What was the role of a priest in the sanctuary service? What was that symbolic of? Because God doesn't do things just haphazardly, but he does things with intention. And so every element of that tabernacle, which it says in Exodus, and I forget the chapter offhand, it says that uh, it says that the – sorry, I'm still trying to figure out what chapter it is. It just comes into my head. <laughs> I think it's like 23 or something. But anyway, um, he says that, Moses, you need to make this tabernacle, the sanctuary, after the pattern that is shown to you. And in Hebrews chapter 8, it tells us that that pattern was was a replica of what's really going on in heaven, right? A replica of how salvation really works, of what Jesus' ministry fully looks like. And the more that we understand that, the greater nuance and the deeper meaning and significance a lot of those things have to us, and we can understand Jesus' role in our life and his ministry. And like, what is Jesus doing now? All of those things can be understood because of the sanctuary. So yeah, that's what I would say. That was a really long-winded answer, but um, that's kind of left us with no time to answer any other questions. So we're going to come back in a moment from from a song, and thank you so much for your question, David, and we want to continue to encourage you guys, whatever questions you have, you can send in even even before next, um, next week's uh, show. You can send those in and text them in through to our call line, our text line, or you can also send them in on our Facebook page, and we'd love to hear from you even in advance. Just make sure that you mention that it's for real faith. That's right. Put it in for real faith. Otherwise, they might do it on The Breakfast Show, and we won't know about it. So make sure you get it in there. Say it's for real faith, and we'll do that. This song is by Four Ordained, and it is called Standard Bearer. 
things fall left and right. I look back with doubtful eyes and rejoice when I see my standard flying high. Our King has asked us to prepare, and this is mighty war. So we'll put on our armor and continue to go forth. And though our numbers may be few, our will to win is strong. We will carry on. The Lord knows all that we can be, so we must strive to live worthily. Teach the world of truths restored, so they may come to love their Lord. He has asked us to prepare, and this is mighty work, and His standard we must bear as an ensign to the that we must proclaim, this message we must give, is that He still lives.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. Super stoked that you've been able to come along with us for the ride today. And uh, we're just going to kind of wrap up with the, the end of our show. We're going to look at some applications. So what what can we draw from this? Because I just think it's so vital when when we read Scripture, we need to read it prayerfully and carefully, seek to understand what did it mean then, what does it mean now, and specifically, what, what, what does this mean for my real life right now, practically, real faith today? Um, and I think as we look at this, as we look at this story, there's a bunch of lessons that we can take away. Number one, um, starting right back at the very beginning, I think it's just so valuable to understand there are times where people who are faithful to God are going to suffer. We, we really need to be aware and, and, and consider that following Jesus does not mean there will be no challenges. It does not mean there will be no difficulties in life. You are not guaranteed that if you're following Jesus, everything's going to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable. In fact, when we look at this story, we see some people, these the, the, the parents of Moses, for example, and the children of Israel at this time, there, there's, no, there's no acknowledgement that they're doing anything wrong or deserving of punishment, and yet suffering comes. And that's just a fact of life. And what, what, I, what I really draw out of the story when we look at the the story of Moses being saved through being put into the river is that oftentimes in life, the suffering, there, there, is, there just is suffering. And the way that God delivers us sometimes is to remove the suffering from us. Other times he goes with us and he's the ark, so to speak. He's the, the, the basket that we're placed in. If we stay there with him, we stay close to him. He gives us the protection that we need as we go through the midst of the suffering. And I think it's crucial to remember that because sometimes when we go through difficult circumstances, we can ask the question, where is God? Why, why has God abandoned me? Why am I going through this struggle? Why am I going through this trial, this ordeal? But we need to remember that we're in a spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual battle going on, and God is not leaving us to our own when we go through these difficulties, but it's a time for us to draw near to him, to draw close to him for strength because he will refine us through the difficulties, and he will draw us closer and often in the times of difficulty, we have a greater opportunity to be closer to Jesus than in the times of ease, because it's often when we struggle that we seek God the most earnestly. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through a difficult time, learn from the story of Moses that God is with you in the suffering, and he will deliver you, but often that deliverance doesn't come from just never having difficulty, but it comes through God being with you and protecting you through the suffering, through the difficulty and the trials. What else can we draw from this story? Um, I think that we can draw from Moses this fact, and this is kind of like overarching throughout the story, that we are called to be in the world but not of the world. Now, that's a, it's really easy and cliche to say, but, but, but what does that mean, right? How do I live in the world but not be of the world? And I think, for one, it means that we're, we're going to have to interact with people. I'm reminded of um, <laughs> one of Paul's writings, he says, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't associate with people who do sinful things at all, because otherwise you'd have to go right out of the world. But he says, but, but I don't want you to be making friends with people who profess to be believers and, and are willfully living in rebellion. He says, avoid those people. But he's not saying to avoid people who are in the world who are confused, who do wrong things. He says to be in that space and be a witness in that space and don't let it impact you. So we need to choose wisely 
who we spend our time with, how much time we spend with people because of the influence that they can have. And we also need to make sure that we are spending significant time with Christ, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. And I don't just mean that like read the Bible and pray, blah, blah, blah. But I mean like reflecting in prayer, asking God, what's going on with this stuff? How do I deal with this? How do I go through this situation? And really allowing God to speak into those spaces in your life so that we can we can operate as human beings in society and not be subject to that society, but represent Jesus well in those spaces and be a light to the dark to the dark places around us. And to know the boundary line where, hey man, that's too much for me. We need to step back. Um, what else can we learn? I love I love this idea of learning and unlearning. So like Moses spends 40 years or so, close to 40 years, being trained up in Egypt. And God takes him out of Egypt, so to speak. And why does God do that? Well, God wants to bring him out of bondage. He, got, he wants to bring him out of that place. But, but also we realize that when Moses has to spend 40 years, it tells us in Acts chapter 7, before God speaks to him from the burning bush, which is our very next chapter we're looking at next week, we realize that Moses had 40 years to unlearn, (laughs) to unlearn the things that he had learned in Egypt and to learn faith, to learn patience, to learn to trust in God's way of doing things, to unlearn his ego, to unlearn the worldly ways of operating. And so often in our own journey, we think so much about what we have to learn. We have to take in new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And we forget that sometimes the more important thing can be to unlearn the bad things that we have created, that we, we have allowed to create who we are, right? We've allowed these things to come in and be influences. And we think this way. We believe these things that are not true. And we need to allow God the space to come in and invite him to work through those things with us so that we can unlearn the things that are not true, the things that are false that we believe about God, about ourselves, about others, so that we have room to learn the truth. Um, one one last thing I think we can learn here is, um, this is this is for all the single people out there, God provided Moses with what he needed when he needed it. And if we're focused on the right things, we don't have to stress so much about that. So be encouraged. Whatever is needed, God will provide at the right time. But be focused on the right things. Well, that brings us to a close for our show today. want to just enlighten you to what our discussion topic will be for next week. So next week, our question is, I actually forgot to write it down. I totally forgot. I don't know what the question is. Dun, dun. Do you want to read it out for us, Shell? Sure thing. Okay, so I've got, what does equally yoked mean? Ooh, I was just talking about you know, single people in marriage. So what does it mean to be equally yoked within a relationship? And is it okay to flirt to convert? Oh, flirt to convert, yay or nay. So we love to hear from you. Hopefully that'll stimulate some conversation. Uh, we won't bash you if you have a view different than, than ours or something. So feel free to get that in. Stick around for drive time. And uh, as you're going throughout this week, I just encourage you, Allow God to teach you and to unlearn you from the ways of the world and to teach you how to walk in His ways. Remember, my friends, that real faith is lived faith.